Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and we are back. My apologies for not having a show last week. That was the first week we did not have a show since I got to take over this lovely podcast back in July of 2020. I like to think we have learned a lot since then. Obviously, still have plenty to learn as well. I am joined by none other than our usual Wednesday guest here, Andrew Erickson. You can find all of his work on PFF.com. Also on Twitter, at Andrew Erickson underscore Andrew. It's been a long week and a half, man. How, how are you? So I was on cloud nine yesterday, went for a walk, found 20 bucks on the ground, scooped it up, was feeling great. Today, not so much. I uh, dropped my phone in the toilet, so. <laughs> was it a clean 20 or was it a poo dollar? It was a clean 20. Wow. So uh, I guess you could say things kind of regressed to the mean. I was really high and I'm kind of uh, a little down in the dumps, but my phone's okay. Put in some rice. I think that we averted the crisis. Phones these days are not what they like they used to be, where they basically get destroyed if they touched water. So I think we'll be okay. Couldn't be me, man. My four-year-old Android is indestructible. Threw it off a wall a couple years ago. It's cracked, but not dead. We are remaining away from Team iPhone for the time being. Enough of that talk, though. People, I have a very special podcast to bring you today. We are going to go through basically every NFC offense. We'll do AFC next week and go through who could possibly stop this offense. Because if you've been on Twitter in the last month or so, you've probably seen the tweets from the PFF account. You've probably seen them from other team accounts. Not team accounts, but you know, content accounts. And basically, the game is... Is you put every team's quarterback, running back, wide receiver one, wide receiver two, tight end, whatever their selection is, and they ask who is going to stop this offense. And okay, for some teams like the Chiefs or you know the Packers with Aaron Rodgers, it's a good question. But with other teams like I don't know the Jets or the Giants, you can actually come up with a fairly uh, good idea. So I think a lot of times in fantasy land, we tend to be you know optimistic about everyone. I say it all the time. We hate ADPs. We do not hate players. So I'm not a uh, you know. We're not coming off against anyone too strong on this, but it is a good idea to remember there are floors for everybody involved. Even the best situations can sometimes be turned on their head in fantasy land. So with that said, Andrew, we're going to kick things off with the NFC East. Who is stopping this Cowboys offense if worse comes to worse in 2021? So this one's, this one's tough because there really isn't any glaring holes. And I think it ultimately just goes back to you know Mike McCarthy to an extent. I mean, it seemed like things were working with him in the offense last year. With Dak Prescott, obviously, starting off really well. But I think it just goes down to injuries. I mean, this team was just super banged up in 2020. If you look back at 2019, they were really healthy. Like, they were one of the healthiest rosters. So, again, things like this don't tend to carry over from season to season. You know, the most injured team usually isn't the most injured team the year after. Usually things kind of uh, mellow out. So, for me, it's... It's that. Can they just stay healthy? If the offensive line is healthy, they, that's going to be good for Ezekiel Elliott. If Dak Prescott is healthy, obviously we saw him last year. You know, he was basically the, the top quarterback. I know you wrote an article about Dak. You know, he's got a super high ceiling if he stays healthy. I, I guess the defense, you know, maybe could be better, but based on the moves that they've made, it, it doesn't really seem likely. I mean, they didn't even get one of the top cornerbacks in the draft. They got they got Parsons, and again, he's a linebacker. So we'll see how much he really impact he can make on the, on the secondary that. You know, it was awful last year. I am excited to see uh, Parsons in kind of that Bruce Urban role where he might actually be used more as a pass rusher on third downs. But that's fine. We want the defense to stay shitty in fantasy <laughs> land. Like, that is fine by me. I think he touched on it briefly. There. It's the offensive line because, I mean, last season was the first time that we saw Dak, like, not have to – excuse me. Last season was the first time we saw Dak elevate a not-perfect supporting cast. Like, I get it. The wide receivers were great. Zeke and Pollard, whether – how you feel about Zeke, you know, it's still a good backfield to be throwing the football to more times than not. And he still overcame that just Swiss cheese offensive lineman. Travis Frederick had retired. Tyron Smith played two games last year. Lowell Collins played zero. Even Zach Martin for the final six weeks of the season was out of there. So Dak, despite all that, scored 17, 40, 31, 38, then 37 points. We switched to new Bears undisputed starting QB Andy Dalton. The team scored 10, 3, 9, and 19 points before the bye. So they got their shit together towards the end of the year. I'll give him that. I mean, I'm not coming here to completely tear down Dalton, but I think that offensive line, which we have seen take down Dak in the past, most specifically in 2017 when Tyron Smith missed time, that is the one way I see this going wrong because you just look at the talent everywhere else, can't miss too far there. Andrew, what about the Washington football team? The Washington football team, I think it has to do with their defense, keeping them out of friend, fantasy-friendly scoring environments. Do we expect this team to play in a ton of shootouts 
with, yes, with Brian Fitzpatrick, we would expect him to kind of come in and deliver some DGAF games for us, but that defense has a chance. I mean, it looks like top five on paper. They only added to it during the draft, adding in more stud players. They added William Jackson, one of the best cornerbacks on the Cincinnati Bank, one of the best cornerbacks in the league last year, and he's replacing Ronald Darby, who wasn't even that bad last season. So for me, it seems like the football team doesn't really, I mean, it reminds me almost kind of like the Steelers last year a little bit. It's like yeah. you don't necessarily want your team playing them for fantasy purposes because they might not score a lot of points. And if the offense on the other side isn't scoring that many points, how much aggression play are we going to get from Ryan Fitzpatrick? So that's the only thing I have concern with with them. And again, it's a stretch because the team is going to be good. He can be efficient if they win games, which totally makes sense. But at the same time, I, I kind of want Fitzpatrick to drop him back, throwing like 40, 45 times a game. Are we missing something with Washington? The Cowboys are still favored to win the NFC East somehow. I think everybody at PFF <laughs> disagrees with that. We had our own uh, Benjamin Brown at PFF underscore Ben Brown on Twitter. He sent out a really cool uh, just graphic on a Tuesday or Monday, excuse me. But basically, he took all the spreads and totals for every 2021 regular season game. He built just a graph that shows the market implied power ratings for the entire season, each team's offense and defense. And, you know, there's some easy takeaways on offense. The Chiefs, Buccaneers, Bills are at the top on defense. We got the 49ers, the Rams, the Ravens, but there's like 15 teams ahead of Washington in terms of defense, man. I don't know if it's just their schedule is trending towards being high scoring in these shootouts, but this Washington defense might be the exception to the general rule of, you know, don't worry about defenses in fantasy land because they might be that freaking good. I mean, they've been giving me these 49ers 2019 49ers vibes. Their defensive line is littered with talented former first round picks headlined by Chase Young. And they even did a pretty good job, I thought, in free agency getting William Jackson to spruce up the back end of the defense. So Fuller, I know he disappointed with the Chiefs, but as we saw and as we've seen now in two separate occasions, a little bit better playing in Washington. I think that defense, man, can be good enough to really uh, just potentially tank some fantasy value of its own offense. But in real life, we won a lot of games this year. So great points there. I would just add, I mean, look, Ryan Fitzpatrick is 38 years old. He's was not always this good his entire career. The bad version of him could show up. He's, I mean, we did see him throw 12 touchdowns versus 17 picks as recently as 2016. So I'm not banking on that. You know, I do think he's a great late round QB this year, but just realize I would say that defense and the worst version of Ryan Fitzpatrick showing up are the ways that Washington does not cash in on this great hype that again, we could see coming their way. Andrew, what about the New York football giants? I mean, this one's this one's pretty easy. I think it's a. I think this is really the driver behind this concept in just this segment of the podcast. It's Jason Garrett. For there's a ton of reasons why. Again, you can go back to last year, Evan Ingram basically getting a Jason Witten type treatment, super low A dot, not being used downfield, which made Evan Ingram so hard to to rely on last year as a tight end. You couldn't play him week in and week out because the guy had no high value targets. He wasn't being targeted down the field. And then they go and draft Kadarius Tony. And Kadarius Tony is a hot, you know, debate topic among Dynasty League owners. When they're drafting him, he's falling because he's got a ton of red flags across his profile. And look, the, the first year outlook doesn't look great. If you look at last year, New York Giants finished 29th in screen plays, 30th and passes beyond the line of scrimmage. Again, that's like Kadarius Tony's game. Like to get him involved, get him those manufactured touches. Final season at Florida, Tony finished seventh in the class in receptions on screens and catches behind the line of scrimmage. So Jason Garrett, there's no mesh between the guys. And, and even in a, a world where, let's say, okay, Garrett gets fired. Let's say, you know, they have two tough games to open the season. I believe they open against Denver and the Washington football team. I looked across the coaching. I was trying to find, okay, like who could step up? Who could be our, our knight? to save this Giants offense. And like, it's probably going to be Freddie Kitchens that ultimately steps in, <laughs> which like, that's not what we want. So it, it comes down to the, the coaching, I think for the Giants, because they have all the offensive pieces you could want. Daniel Jones entering year three. Again, the offensive line is also kind of a potential issue. I think that they think the guys that they already have can develop and just be better in the, in the next season. But Jason Garrett, man, it's it sucks if, if he's the one that really brings down the uh, big blue. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not out on Kadarius Tony as like a prospect. I don't want to be out on anyone until we see them play some NFL games. But to me, like looking at their offense, I was fine going to war with Slayton, Galladay, Sterling Shepard. They brought in, you know, John Ross and even Dante Pettis as these kind of low cost, you know, potential value signings. I didn't think using the number 20 overall pick on the position was warranted, like add to the offensive line. But to your point, you know, having Andrew Thomas in year two and some of these other guys, it would make sense if they can take a step forward. I do think it is. You know, a combination of the Clapper, Jason Garrett, and that offensive line. Last year, Daniel Jones and Sam Darnold were the only quarterbacks to be pressured on at least 40% of their dropbacks. I guess the next question is, though, like, is that more on the offensive line? Because as we've found out more at PFF, pressure does tend to be more of a quarterback uh, statistic. So, Daniel Jones, man, this is the year. I don't th- If he doesn't put together, you know, more similar to what we saw as a rookie, if not better than we've ever seen him before, I think it's going to be hard to get back uh, on, on board in 2022 and beyond because all the weapons are finally there. They've, you know, ideally got a better offensive line. You know, maybe we can talk ourselves into one more year if Jason Garrett finally leaves uh, this situation. But, you know, it's not great. I mean, the fact that Dak Prescott scored more total touchdowns than Daniel Jones in the year 2020, people, not good. Had plenty of chances, showed, off, showed us some scrambling ability, but really was not good year for Daniel Jones. Andrew, we got the Philadelphia Eagles. Everybody's favorite late-round QB. That's not really a late-round QB, Jalen Hurts. Could he potentially be the guy that holds back this offense? I think so. I think that him and the combination of him and Nick Sirianni and the offense that they're bringing in, we've got a lot of question marks about what this offense is going to look like. We have him from coming from the Colts where he had multiple different quarterbacks. He had Luck. He had Phillip Rivers. And going from Phillip Rivers to Jalen Hurts is the most you couldn't have two different quarterbacks. You have one guy that can't move at all. And you have the other guy that we're hoping just runs, you know, every single play for, for fantasy football. And and that's the question. How is the offense going to operate with Nick Sirianni and Jalen hurts? Again, something came out earlier, you know, are they going to use RPOs? And it's like, eh, we don't know. Remains to be seen whether the Eagles are going to use run pass options in the team's offense. And it's just like, well, you have a mobile quarterback. So it seems pretty intuitive that you would just do that anyway, because that would take advantage of, his upside and his abilities. So there's just a lot of question marks. Again, you can look at his games from last year in terms of passing volume, and it's pretty high, like 35, I think it was like 35 passing attempts per game. He averaged right around there, but it was the completions that are kind of scary. He only averaged like 20 completions per game, which is not a lot to help the other guys around him. So it's concerning for the weapons with Smith, with Rager, with Goddard, you know, how many guys is he going to actually support? And if he's not really locked onto one guy like there may not be anyone that's really reliable and i was actually thinking about this if joe flacco would end up starting games for them i would think that i would actually rank miles sanders higher (laughs) because i would know that he would catch more passes and and that's what i like about miles sanders is his pass catching upside but that's just not there with jalen hurts so there's a lot of question marks and right now hurts is going you know at kind of his his ceiling we are kind of baking in that he's going to take another step he's going to continue to run and I think he's like Q, the ADP quarterback eight. And that's where I have him ranked, but I can't go higher than, than where he is right now. I had him, I think, QB6 before the draft and stuff. And it, not like, you know, anything they did other than not drafting a QB really impacted him. But just the more I look at the situation, the more I see these potential pitfalls. I got him down QB9 right now. Look, the path to success is simple. Read one article about him. You'll see it, you know, driven home. His 16-game rushing pace last year was 184 rush attempts. That would be the most ever by a quarterback. <laughs> like, it's just, you know, even though he wasn't good, he really was not good in his four starts last year, but he was in fantasy. He was a fantasy QB. 11, the QB1, then the QB12, and the QB20, even though he got pulled for like the entire fourth quarter of a game against, again, an incredibly good defense in Washington. But man, like the jury is really out on him as a passer. If we asked him to come back to the courthouse right now, like it would not be good news. He was 41st in PFF passing grade. The only guys better that he was better than Sam Darnold, Dwayne Haskins, and Jake Luton. Nobody was worse than adjusted completion rate, man. I mean, he had a nice downfield ball. You know, he did some really good things against the Cardinals. It's only a four-game sample size, but he was objectively an awful passer in that sample size. We haven't gotten the most ringing endorsements from the organization about him. 
you know, we both have Hertz Rankins that are top 10 QBs, but he's not someone that I think you should be going out of your way to reach on in these drafts. But hey, you know, you don't have to just take it from Andrew and myself. We have a whole cast of podcasts here over at PFF, which covers everything NFL, college, and fantasy football. Make sure you recap the NFL draft and look ahead to 2022 with Mike Renner and Austin Gale's two-for-one drafts podcast, or get all the 2021 betting content you need with the PFF forecast. So make sure, again, you check out PFF's entire podcast network and always appreciate you all listening to us here on the PFF Fantasy Pod. Andrew, moving on to the NFC West now. What about our, you know, perennial top 10 scoring offense, but they seem to want to make it hard on us uh, via coach speak, the Seattle Seahawks. Seattle, will they let Russ cook is the big question that everybody wants to know. And I'm skeptical that they're going to do that. You know, you look at the offensives and moves that they've made, bringing in the new offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron, firing Brian Schottenheimer because he failed to meet eye-to-eye with head coach Pete Carroll. Again, in regards to offensive philosophies, which probably stems back to, I want to be more balanced. I want to run the football more. So again, I think that if you're looking at Wilson as just this guy who weeks one through nine, when he was basically unstoppable, averaging over 30 fantasy points per game, I think that's really in his upper percentile of outcomes. And it's not really what you should be going expecting to happen. Can it happen? Yes. He showed it to us last year, but being kind of blocked into that type of mindset, I think is not warranted in this, in this spot because they're not going to do that. Probably like they're probably still going to want to run the football. They have Chris Carson back like that. Bringing him back was a big thing. If they had elected not to bring him back, maybe we would look at this situation differently, but they have their bell cow running back that they really like to feed the ball to. They talked about Rashad Penny also being like a one, two punch. So now he's getting more involved. He's finally healthy. So maybe they actually end up using him a little bit more again. It also ties back to their defense. Again, their defense was historically bad last year during the beginning of the season. Just, God awful. And I don't really think they've improved that much, honestly, but they may not just, they may just get better because they can't get worse. <laughs> it's kind of the way you have to look at it. They lost Griffin when, you know, one of their best corner, I think he played the most snaps for them last year. So their defense really shouldn't be that much better, but it depends on the game script and how things kind of flow. So those are some of the things that I'm concerned about with the Seahawks. And I'm going to let you in on a little secret here. This is why the Seahawks defense, you know, got quote unquote fixed during the second <laughs> half of the season. They faced the following QBs in their final six games. Dwayne Haskins, Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, CJ Bethard, Sam Darnold, and Colt McCoy. It was a disaster. They were 28th in points per game allowed before that. They can want to establish it all they want, but as we saw in the first half of last year, just not might be possible. You mentioned Griffin being gone. Bro, like, the Titans and Cowboys, like, we know they have trash defenses, but at least they threw, like, enough draft resources at us to maybe think, like, okay, they could be average this year. The Seahawks drafted Trey Brown, a fourth-round corner, and that's it because they had no draft picks because they spent them all on Jamal Adams, who I think goes, you know, he's underrated probably at this point because we hate on him so much for his lack of coverage skills. But, like, we, we need more than him. We can't just have a great pass-rushing safety out there on this defense. Like, Bobby Wagner, age is going to catch up eventually. It just looks bad again, man. But I am with you. It's going to be, you know, new offensive coordinator Shane Waldron. Is he just a yes man? And is he going to just run the ball as much as Pete Carroll wants? Or could he actually take advantage of his offense and, you know, do what they do best, which is throw the ball? I wouldn't say the offensive line. I mean, look, they don't have a great one. We've heard about this whole storyline with Russ. But that's just been the case for his entire, like, career since they've started paying him. Since 2015, in terms of just dollars spent on the offensive line, the Seahawks have ranked 30th, 32nd, 26th, 26th, 15th, 26th, and right now, 15th. So this is actually, in terms of money, one of the better offensive lines. Theoretically, Russ is going to play behind. Here's the hope, and he gets the volume to make up for it in fantasy land. Andrew, what about the San Francisco 49ers, and why is it Jimmy Garoppolo? Jimmy Garoppolo, if he plays too long, then yeah. it's going to be an issue for yeah, a lot well. of things in, in fantasy football. I guess the one, so the, the main difference between Garoppolo in terms of like Trey Lance, I, I guess the thing that I'm concerned about is the pass catchers and how the sure. offense will change if Garoppolo is under center versus Trey Lance under center. Because we've seen this before when you have a more statue quarterback come in and he's kind of feeding the playmakers. There's more passes to be caught. You know, there's more targets in the offense because there's just more passing attempts. But then when you have Trey Lance, you know, if he's under center, how are we going to be viewing these pass catchers? Like, is are all of their numbers just going to kind of dip? Is Kittle's numbers going to go down? Are Ayuk and Debo Samuel? Again, we don't really have a big sample size of these three guys playing together all at once. So it's really hard to 
you know, lock in, okay, we're gonna, Kittle's going to have a 25% target share if Ayuk and Samuel are both healthy. We don't even really know who the number three wide receiver is on the 49ers. They have a lot of different guys. Again, Jalen Hurd, hoping he gets healthy, praying that it's him, but we don't really know where's the depth behind some of these guys. So that's one of my concerns. And then, but besides that, it's really just the injury thing again. You know, the 49ers honestly have like a Super Bowl roster. Their roster is not that much different from a year ago when they were in the Super Bowl. I think the main difference on their defense is their secondary is much worse. So that's actually good for fantasy football. Like we're happy that their secondary is worse, but they're going to be getting back Bosa. The pass rush is going to be better. So those are kind of my concerns with the 49ers. Yeah, they better get 16 healthy games from Nick Bosa. And if he can play like he did as a rookie, I think they can be okay in the secondary, but certainly not the same overall unit we saw help get them to the Super Bowl. And it's a good point, man. Trey Lance, you know, as we've told you guys here on, on the podcast, our uh, pro comp for him with our draft guide, Taysom Hill with legit arm talent, but... It was already hard enough to get Jimmy G to throw the ball. We could just see games where Lance has 15 to 20 pass attempts, and he is going to be the fantasy superstar if he's under center. It might not be anyone else, though. Maybe Trey Sermon or Raheem Moster if we can get it condensed, but who knows? And, yeah, with the wide receiver group, I mean, we just didn't have much evidence of healthy Ayuk, of healthy Debo, and healthy Kittle. And maybe if you did get him, who the hell knew what was happening under center? So, Sam Fran, man, I it's weird because we all expect them to be like a top five, top 10 scoring offense. But you look and really George Kittle is the only guy that's uh, ranked all that highly in fantasy land. Ayuk and Debo, great players. I think they go really high in a real life uh, redraft. Fantasy, not so much. More in that wide receiver uh, three range. So, yeah, man, Jimmy G, 24 and 8 as a starter. I'm going to go with you. I think you're right. I think it should be Trey Lance over Jimmy G for everybody else involved. Although, you know, Jimmy G obviously probably doesn't give them the real life ceiling that a lot of people would hope for. If Lance is the, if Lance is the starter, do you move Kittle and Waller? I mean, do you have Kittle two and then Waller three? Uh, Cause I'm, yeah. I'm like, I'm kind of torn on right. Waller and Kittle. Like I, I had, I had Kittle two and Waller three, but then when you think about, okay, if Lance is quarterback, like how many targets is is Kittle just gonna have to like average three yards per well, route run he again? Might, he might <laughs> like, like, like I guess that's <laughs> he might get like eight of those bootleg flat passes a game though, and he might just run through everybody. Like that's but then the Waller Waller gets you getting like fifteen targets a game because like they Raiders added nobody. It's still just Darren Waller, and they just swapped out Aguilar for John Brown. And I, re- I really think I really think if you know. Planet Earth had to face the aliens in the game of football to save humanity. George Kittle would be our tight end today if we needed to do it. Now, that's not the question we're answering here, so I understand the uh, hesitation. But for me, with the targets equal for the time being, which I think they almost should be, maybe Waller a little bit more, I'll take Kittle with the slight volume reduction. If they do move to Lance, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, that's that's that. Yeah, it feels weird because you just like you know Waller's going to get way. I mean, it's not even like he's getting inefficient targets either because Carr has shown that he can at least distribute the ball to Waller. And look, the Raiders' schedule is just absolutely brutal. They're going to be trailing in a ton of games, so I could see Waller just. uh, Yeah, Waller's going to get a lot of catches this year. Hundred percent. And now we're barking about two versus three here, so I do (laughs) understand. Uh, Arizona Cardinals now, Andrew. I think we probably are on the same page here. Fake sharp, Cliff Kingsbury. Yes, Cliff Kingsbury, you are on the stand because I don't know what, like, what is this offense? Like, we're entering year three, and I feel like this offense is, okay, Kyler Murray, drop back, throw it to DeAndre Hopkins. If he's not open, okay, like, run. Because there hasn't been anyone else that's stepped up in this offense, and the guys that they brought in, A.J. Green, like, why? Like, what's the point of bringing him into the offense? James Conner, why? (laughs) Is... (laughs) Is he supposed to be like the opposite receiver on the outside? Is this mean, is Andy Isabella gone? Again, Rondell Moore, he's a slot receiver. We thought that Christian Kirk would move back into the slot. No, it's like, nope, we're going to bring in Rondell Moore. He's going to use be used in the slot a little bit more. And then you have the overlap between potentially Rondell Moore and now Chase Edmonds. You know, something I found out about Chase Edmonds last year was, again, Chase Edmonds had a surprising amount of receptions and targets for someone that's attached to a mobile quarterback, which I thought was kind of surprising, but it's really just related to the way that the offense operates. It is the air raid. You know, it's the same thing that they run in college with the air raid offense, a lot of receptions to the running back position. And that's what Edmonds was doing, but Edmonds ran the most snaps, most routes from the slot at the running back position last year. Like those targets are going to be taken away by Rondell Moore, assuming that he's used in a similar fashion that at least he was used at the college level. So I, I, this, offense really seems like it's going to be like very diluted in terms of how things are going to be spread out. And really, I just hope that 
it's Kyler that just gets all the fantasy points and Hopkins. And we can kind of just stay away because now I I even have issues with Edmonds at the, at the goal line. Like I'm I'm kind of concerned now looking more into it with James Conner. You know, Edmonds had one goal has one goal line carry over the past two seasons. Since 2018, Conner has 32. That's <laughs> like so I can't like come on this podcast and say, you know what, Edmonds, goal line back. I can't say that. And now I'm figuring out, okay, so where is he going to score his fantasy points? And I'm kind of coming up blank if Kyler Murray gets goal line carries now, James Conner. Man, it just seems like Kyler Murray is really the offense, and Cliff Kingsbury is just kind of banking on him making the plays. And it's not really Cliff elevating Kyler. Yeah, it's it's not good. And I'm going to read this quote here from Cliff Kingsbury talking about his receiver room. Uh, he's talking about Rondale Moore. He goes, I thought we were going to have great competition before this pick. You got DeAndre. You got AJ. So he singles out AJ Green ahead of everyone else. And then you got some younger guys that were kind of battling it out. This guy, Moore, jumps right in the middle of that group. And it's like, come on, man. You... Uh. And people, I, I get you love more. It's He's easy to love. You watch any highlight of this guy, and he looks freaking electric at the ball. Who cares how big he is? But Andy Isabella, who was drafted all 13 picks later, who we also, all of us on draft Twitter, fell in love with, was picked 13 picks later, and he got 13 targets as a rookie. I do not trust Cliff Kingsbury to give more the role he deserves, particularly when we got A.J. Green, for some reason, now being the second most integral part of this passing game. But great point on Chase Edmonds. Like, the slot snaps being the big issue there i think it's the same thing in washington man like so much of mckissick's target share was coming lined up in the slot and out wide now they got curtis samuel someone like rondale who's probably going to take a lot of that same target share so unfortunate man you know like, like i don't i don't know what cardinal i want to draft besides kyler because yeah. like hopkins is a second round pick but i'm going to take aj brown over hopkins i and... do wonder if we're overthinking it a little bit because let's face it these gadget type players usually don't last for more than a couple kind of weeks and like ron i'm not saying rondale's career is, is going to be that short but we don't see them have these weird gadget roles for that long and we're writing off chase edmonds even though they didn't draft a running back and we're kind of writing off uh lavisca chenault even though they didn't draft a wide receiver so it's you know b- bigger conversations than what we're having this second but it is worth wondering you know when we're talking about how fake sharp cliff is is he really going to take away edmonds from that so I-, I don't know andrew we're going to find out more as the summer goes on but for now please <laughs> Cliff, just figure it out, man. I would love for this offense to be good. Unfortunately, I'm not sure they're on that same uh, 2018-2020 Browns-esque trajectory. Finishing off the NFC West, Andrew, we have the Los Angeles Rams. Who would you say is the most likely person or position group to turn things south here? There's a couple ones that I looked at. So Matthew Stafford kind of comes to name just because it's a new offense. You know, how is he going to mesh with Sean McVay and a more vertical passing offense. Like we haven't really seen the Rams do that a lot, except for, you know, one season with Jared Goff when he was basically had his best season of his career. So when you're throwing in guys like Woods and Cup, guys that aren't really, they don't really profile as deep threats. And it seems like that's the way that this offense really wants to go. You have Tutu Atwell, who's kind of a gadgety player, but he also plays the slot. So are they going to take Woods and Cup out of the slot? You know, guys that spend a lot of time inside because Atwell's too small to really have on the perimeter. Like he's not going to be able to get off man coverage against bigger defensive backs. So there's an issue there. Higby is a player that I'm concerned about with the blocking because he does a ton of blocking. Like last year he was, he blocked more than anyone. And that's what basically destroyed Johnny Smith's fantasy value last year was he was just, he was blocking too much and he couldn't get any fantasy points because he wasn't running enough routes. So those are a couple of concerns there, but for the most part, I feel pretty good about the Rams offense. Again, maybe Sean McVay just getting too cute. And being like, oh, I got to get Atwell involved. I got to get my, you know, tight end wide receiver hybrid that I drafted in the fourth round. I got to get him involved a little bit. If he just doesn't do that, I think that will be good. But I will say that at least with the Robert Woods thing, I'm not so sure that we're going to see him have as many rushing attempts as we're used to seeing. I think that Atwell could potentially take on that role in terms of getting those rushing attempts behind the line of scrimmage. I really don't hope. I hope that's not the case because it's like an extra two or three points that you get from Robert Woods because of the rushing. But if they're really invested in using Atwell as his second round pick, and then obviously Deshaun Jackson for the fraction of snaps that he plays. So more or less, I, I like the Rams offense, but there's a couple things that Sean McVay might, uh, might not be the best for. So I was about to criticize Tutu weighing in at 149 pounds, but apparently he weighed in at 160 closer to the draft. Sean okay. McVay well, he like, him. he like, wait, he like filmed himself like 
stepping on a scale when he probably just like chugged that was the 160 <laughs> <laughs> like he literally just probably just like ate a giant meal just like drank like three cups of milk and just like stepped on the scale i did that in uh high school man i go to these football camps and i was a linebacker <laughs> and it was a bad look to be under 200 pounds and i remember just slamming like you know big macs and like drinking all this water before weighing in and just tank my freaking athletic workouts after but at least i got that uh, extra get the five in. pounds on there yeah there we go <laughs> Oh man, I yeah, I don't think there's you know I'm I'm really high in this Rams offense too. I think they're probably going to be a top five uh, scoring unit this year. I would say it's the offensive line because that was the issue in 2019 when things really went south. Golf got under a lot more pressure. We didn't see the same dominance in the run game, and they really didn't fix anything going into 2020, which is why their you know relative success on offense caught a lot of us off guard. It's basically what the Steelers are banking on is having these you know underwhelming incumbent guys get better and just kind of improve from within. So yeah. It can happen. It did happen in 2020. I do wonder, though, if we see, you know, another year removed from defenses now having whatever they were doing, you know, in the run game last year to have success. Having that on film, could there be now a drop-off in 2021? Their left tackle, Andrew Whitworth, is 40 years old in December. Like, come on, man. Like, David Evers, Brian Allen, they improved, but I'm just not sure this is as good an offensive line as they looked on paper in 2020. But, again, good situation. I know we're high on Stafford, and I, I trust Sean McVay to figure it out. By the way, people, if you are also high on the Rams, you can go put your money where your mouth is over our Underdog Fantasy. If you like fantasy football and if you like playing fantasy for money, you need to check out Underdog Fantasy. Underdog's got everything, including season-long and playoff best ball. Best ball is a season-long game. We draft a team like you normally do, but that's it. There's no in-season roster management. Underdog automatically selects your best performers each week, saving you loads of time. Go to Underdog Fantasy and deposit $10 using promo code PFF and get a free PFF Edge Aaron subscription. That's promo code PFF. Draft now at Underdog Fantasy. I referred someone to Underdog today because I said I don't think J.K. Dobbins is going to be an RB1 this year. He tried to bet me $10,000 on that. And I said, hey, go to Underdog Fantasy, use promo code PFF, and you can win far more than $10,000 <laughs> if you disagree with things that Andrew and myself are saying. I also got a funny, I won't hash on this too long, but I got a, a Twitter reply. And, you know, Andrew, we got a lot of lot of ones with the clown emojis and just mean <laughs> things. One guy hit me with the Ricky Bobby, though. He was like, with all due respect, like, you're a freaking idiot man just went off on me but starting it with all due respect i mean how can you not respect that so i appreciate everyone say whatever mean thing you like to me if you started off with all due respect we're still all good and really we're all good either way so underdog fantasy promo code pff good stuff andrew moving on to the nfc north let's assume that aaron Rodgers is still quarterback of this team for 2021 and beyond how could you see this situation going south Sigh relief because my first note here is Jordan Love. Very scary if he's playing quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers, the biggest thing with him is just touchdown regression. Like, that's the thing we need to be worried about, and it's it's probably going to be happening. Look, he posted a career high, 9.1% overall touchdown rate, highest rate we've seen since 2004. And this is the same thing that, like Lamar Jackson did last year. Again, he had a really high touchdown rate. And it went down the next year. And it's what we've seen from all the guys that have posted over 9%. Aaron Rodgers in 2011. He's actually the only quarterback to do it twice. And his touchdown rate fell from 9% in 2011 to 7.1% the following season. So again, this isn't thing to say, oh, Aaron Rodgers is going to throw like 25 touchdowns next year. It's like, no, but he might throw like 30 or 32. And look, Devontae Adams... Look, he's not probably going to score like 20 touchdowns again. It's just really, really hard to repeat those types of numbers. So that's the one thing I think you can just expect that the passing game probably isn't going to be as efficient next year. And look, maybe the the Jordan Love thing, again, it, it obviously fueled him this past season, as Ian, as you pointed out earlier today. But I can't see it. It's not going to sustain until next year. I mean, you look at uh, expected fantasy points and, and no quarterback scored more over expectation than Aaron Rodgers. He doesn't add any value really on the ground. So it's all through the air. And it's just, those numbers are not sustainable year over year. You jokingly were like, he's not going to throw 25 touchdowns. I mean, he threw that many in 2018 and 16 games in 2019. He only had 26. Like I was, I, yeah, I missed big time on Aaron Rodgers last year. I'm sorry, people. They did not make a single noticeable upgrade on offense from 2019 to 2020. And we were coming off the worst season of Rodgers career in fantasy. And I agree with when he came out, I believe on the Pat McAfee show. And he said, my worst seasons are still career years for most guys. Absolutely. Aaron, he's led the league in lowest interception 
rate three straight years. He has never stopped being an elite real-life quarterback, but for the better part of the last half decade, he was at least more of a human fantasy QB, particularly Andrew, like you said, once his you know rushing floor has kind of fallen off a little bit more over the years. So, yeah, man, I think it's just normal regression. It's this offense settling in as more of an above-average unit as opposed to the freaking world beaters that we largely saw come out of nowhere in 2020. So, you know, LaFleur and Rodgers, yeah, we saw how well that marriage worked out last year. The best version of Rodgers we've ever seen, I believe, came in the year 2020. Not so sure we're going to get that again in 2021. Only because it's that hard to be that good two years in a row. I mean, truly, man, the scoring offense in 2019 was ranked 15th. They scored 23 or fewer points in 10 of 18 games. Like, you know, don't don't let... 12 months be our entire opinion on a situation. Uh, use use all the uh, time we got, and that is a little bit longer. So just, uh, you know, Rodgers, Devontae, I get it, but some of these other guys, and yeah, not even hate on Aaron Jones. That's another thing I got. Oh, Aaron Jones, Andrew. That's I was having a nice evening the other the – other, uh, last Thursday or so, and I look at my RB rankings. I'm like, oh, this is getting a lot of attention on Twitter. That's weird. It's because Aaron Jones himself decides to reply to my fantasy rankings article with a gif of himself being disrespected because he wasn't in my top four RBs. Aaron, I ranked you as RB5, which is what you finished as last year, and that is three spots ahead of the public rank. I am higher on Aaron Jones than most, not high enough. So if you don't have Aaron Jones as your overall RB1, which, hey, he has the ability to finish as. I hope they give you 400 touches, Aaron Jones. You have that capability to do more with those touches than any other running backs. Unfortunately, here we are, Andrew, chilling, and we just got to try to project production. So it is what it is. Aaron Jones, no haters here. Chicago Bears, Andrew, who's going to mess it up? The coaching staff, the general manager, <laughs> just playing Andy Dalton for too long. Like That's the biggest thing. Just look, if you want to sacrifice him to the Rams week one, do it. Who cares? I don't want to. I really rather them do that anyway. I mean, ideally, I don't want to have to play Justin Fields in, in fantasy if he's playing the Rams in Week One. But I don't know. This really reminds me eerily of the situation when it was the Houston Texans and they had Deshaun Watson as a rookie and they played. His name is escaping me, but he was just some savage. Yeah, Tom. Ah. Like, yeah, they played savage for like a half, and they're like, "Oh man, like we got to get this guy out of the game." Like, and like all off season was like. You know, Tom Savage is going to be the starter. Like, he's earned it. And it wasn't even, like, a tough defense they were playing. I think it might have been, like... No, it was Jacksonville. Jazz. No, that yeah. was tough, though. That was it, their prime. It was... It, okay, so it was the good Jacksonville yeah. defense. but Still, though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, this is the good Rams defense. I, like, I could literally see Justin Fields coming in the first... Or the second half of, of the Rams game after Andy Dalton throws a pick six or two. So, I, I think that the Bears just need to kind of get over this Andy Dalton thing and, and stop pretending to be the chiefs of the North or whatever, or the other, the chiefs of the NFC, because they're not like, it's not the same situation at all. Like Alex Smith was actually a good quarterback. Andy Dalton. Yeah. Okay. Like he didn't really have the best situation around him, but he didn't have like the worst situation around him last year. I mean, he had good receivers in Dallas. So he, I mean, he's definitely just a guy at this point and, I just think the Bears should just get their rookie quarterback in the game, and then that way we can play him in fantasy. No one's going to play Dalton. We're all going to play Fields, and it's just good for, for everybody if they just play Fields. <laughs> Dude, in Nagy's press conference where he solidified Dalton as a starter yet again, he said himself that the 33-year-old Andy Dalton is essentially like a rookie as well. Like, come on, man, listen to yourself. Like, what are you saying? Just make it a competition. If Andy Dalton plays lights out, fine, man. But just doing this is absolutely ridiculous. Gives me Hugh Jackson, Baker Mayfield, Tyrod Taylor vibes mm -hmm. all over again. Let the rookie win the job. Like, if he wins it, great. And if he doesn't, then okay, you have Andy Dalton there. But yeah, let's get out of our heads like Andy Dalton's this great quarterback. Other than, and look, Zach Martin, maybe the single best guard in the league, so... Not having him for the back half of the Cowboys year could have greatly impacted the offense. Let's also realize that was when Dalton started to play better. So with all that said, in the same Cowboys offense last year, Dak Prescott averaged 8.4 yards per attempt. Andy Dalton was 6.5. Just play Justin Fields. Please, Chicago, for your job, Matt Nagy, please just play Justin Fields. Andrew, maybe the easier one for the Detroit Lions would be like, who can actually win in this hellhole uh, of an offense? So uh, with that, what, what do you make of this situation? So I think, so the biggest stopper is going to definitely be the other team for most parts when it comes to the Detroit Lions. I guess Jared Goff, he, depending on how well he can play in this offense, I mean, they added Sewell on the offensive line. So their offensive line is probably not going to be the worst in the league, but it's all about him 
how good he's going to be. You know, he was pretty bad last year across the board. That's why he got traded to the Lions, who are a team that's kind of looking towards the future. Really, I think that the main thing with the Lions is, look, just give us concentrated targets and touches so we know who to play. You know, feed TJ Hawkinson, feed DeAndre Swift, you know, feed Jamal Williams. Like, give us two running backs. Like, I don't care. Like, I would like, I'd honestly like that more than if it's just Hawkinson, they don't use any of the receivers. If you get two running backs that they both use in the passing game because they're trailing in a bunch of games. So that's ideally what I'd like to see from them. Goff doesn't really profile as a deep ball passer. I mean, that's why they got rid of him from Los Angeles. So, you know, the short to intermediate targets with Hawkinson and the two running backs, I think would be ideal for, for fantasy. Yeah, I mean, look, the last time we saw Goff on a team with absolutely, like, no, not willingness to win, but really, like, nothing to play for was at the end of that 2019 season when he fed Tyler Higby enough to make us all think he was the second coming of freaking Gronk. I mean, the hype was out of control, but warranted because of the numbers he put up. TJ Hawkinson should have that Tyler Higby role. And, man, one of the more underrated signings of the, or I should say non-signings of the offseason was Jesse James. I'm pretty freaking sure he's a tight end. Like, he's not on the Lions anymore. Yeah, still a free agent per Google. Don't bite my head off if I'm wrong there. But, like, Hawkinson was legit not getting an every down roll because of, you know, Sheriff Jesse James. And now he should be out there getting that. So, we'll see between Perryman, Williams, Amon Ross, St. Brown. Like, I am higher on St. Brown than most because of the potential opportunity. Hawkinson and, you know, DeAndre Swift. Those are the only two sure things we got. And, by the way, people. Future, maybe even this Friday, guest of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, Mr. DeAndre Swift. So stay tuned for that one. We'll get his thoughts on the situation and talk more about the backfield then. Andrew, for now, though, Minnesota Vikings looking pretty good, man. Uh, You know, PFF's own Seth Galina actually called Kirk Cousins a dark horse MVP candidate. Who could you see, you know, messing this thing up? And is it Kirk Cousins himself? I don't think it's Kirk Cousins. I think that I Kirk definitely gets a bad rep about being, you know, this inefficient quarterback. But, I mean, he really has been a, one of the more efficient quarterbacks of the pure pocket passers. Again, he's always kind of like a fringe QB1 on the, you know, between quarterback 12 and quarterback 15, it seems like, every single season. And, again, look, that that's fine. It's not enough to really be, oh, I want to be in on Kirk Cousins this year because he just doesn't run. Like, there's no upside, basically, to his game because he's a statue quarterback. But, if you're streaming, you're playing him in DFS in a good matchup, it makes a lot of sense to play Kirk Cousins. But I think that the thing that's way different from last year is there's no way this Vikings defense is going to be as bad as it was last year. Like, I, I am so convinced. I mean, going into next, going into last year, you know, everything was pointing to this Vikings defense being absolutely terrible. They had lost a bunch of guys. They were turning over the secondary. Uh, Pierce, Michael Pierce, a guy that they signed for the Baltimore Ravens, who was supposed to be basically like the nose tackle to stop the run. He opted out of the season. And he was like a big reason why it's like attack this Vikings defense early in the season because they're not going to be able to stop anyone. And that's exactly what happened. That's not going to be the case this year. You know, their head coach, Mike Zimmer, has been pretty, pretty convincing about, okay, I need to make this defense better. Like, I'm not going to have a shitty defense again because that's not my game. So you have Pierce coming back. You have Daniel Hunter, who's going to be healthy. Cameron Dantzler, their cornerback that they drafted last year. He was PFF's sixth highest graded cornerback after week 10, like he started off the season, he was, he was really bad, but he started to get better and you're just going to see this defense play much better. And I kind of think to kind of like the Washington football team, I don't know if we're going to see Kirk dropping back as so many times to throw us. So as frequently, and again, there are the times when Kirk cousins does have those games where he just kind of implodes. I think there was that game. I think it was against the Falcons at the beginning of last year, where he threw like four picks in like the first half. And somehow he actually managed to like throw three touchdowns in the second half to like save people in fantasy. But I remember he was like a really popular waiver wire quarterback that week. And like at halftime, he was like in the negatives and everybody was freaking out about him. So I think it's the defense. I don't know if we're going to see as, as many, as many, super friendly offensive shootout games with the Vikings. Yeah, I mean, Kirk will always just give you some of those games a year. Like, you know, for example, week eight against the Packers, 14 pass attempts. He had a couple more in uh, 2019 where he just doesn't throw the ball, even if he throws it, like, efficiently. He's not running it. He doesn't have enough volume to make most out of it. So, yeah, I mean, Kirk Cousins, actually the seventh highest graded PFF quarterback uh, just in passing since he's joined the Vikings in 2018, seventh in QB rating. He's fourth in adjusted completion rate. And, like, the guys he's behind, Drew Brees, Derek Carr, and Teddy Bridgewater, like, 
they're thinking duckers. Kirk has actually been throwing the ball downfield. The thing is, and, and Seth Galina again talks about this in his uh, great article over on PFF.com, like the Vikings have had the 30th gra- highest graded uh, pass blocking grade over the past three years. And, you know, last year was their worst one in that group. So they did a good job in the draft, beefing up the offensive line. And Kirk, if you give him time, man, he can make pretty much any throw on the field. He is a tier above guys like Jimmy G, uh, Jared Goff. He's not a complete statue back there. Not giving us the rushing yards we like, but, you know, I'm, I'm not saying you should bet on uh, Cousins to win MVP, but I could see him being, you know, a pretty solid QB2 that does give you some of the spike weeks as a streamer and maybe, just maybe, better in best ball. Quick shout-out to our guys over at DraftKings Sportsbook. They are giving you a chance to lower the over-under on a featured playoff game. All players who place a bet on the featured basketball game will have a hand in lowering the over-under on the game. That's right. For every 1,500 players who bet the over on the select game, the over-under will drop by one point. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF when you sign up to hammer the over. For every 1,500 people that bet the over in the featured game, the line will decrease by one point. Yes, this is your chance to improve the odds of the over hitting so tell your friends and family this is a team effort hammer the over and improve your odds of doubling your money as promo code pff for a limited time only only at DraftKings sportsbook must be 21 or older new jersey indiana or pennsylvania only restrictions apply maximum 25 dollar wager one per customer offer ends 52321 21 see draftkings.com slash sportsbook for details gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or in indiana 1-800-9-WITH-IT it was also brought to my attention that during a read a couple weeks ago, I may or may not, meaning I, I did, I, I cursed during a DraftKings read, and I apologize, DraftKings, so I will stick to the script in the future and not curse during ad reads. So with that, Andrew, let's move on to the NFC South. Last four teams to touch on. Start off with the Atlanta Falcons. Who could mess up this situation? I think it's the offensive line. That's really the only area I could find that was a glaring weakness. I mean, I I think Matt Ryan's in for a bounce back. I like the fit with Arthur Smith. They're going to use more play action. The weapons are all over the place. You got Kyle Pitts, Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones, Russell Gage, you know, or uh, Hayden Hurst, Mike Davis. So even the complimentary pieces, you know, have guys that have been, you know, productive in the past. So Matt Ryan has, has really no excuses. So I would just say it was probably the offensive line. They've invested a decent amount of draft capital into some of those guys. They really haven't panned out. So they've been, in terms of PFF grading, they've ranked inside the, the bottom 10 the last two seasons in terms of pass block grade. So I think it's just a matter of can this offensive line in a different scheme just be better if the personnel doesn't necessarily change. I mean, the talent should be there because it's not just these undrafted guys that are just getting off the street trying to like make them work. They have draft capital attached to them. They should be talented. It just hasn't come together. And I mean, it seems like that's what Arthur Smith was almost brought in to do. Like he is kind of the glue that's going to kind of make everything mesh with all of these offensive pieces around the place. And again, the defense is not good still. So that's great for fantasy football. You nailed it. Offensive line could be the problem. You know, it's why we were kind of a little bit surprised. I think when Kyle Pitts was the guy at four, obviously we've talked enough about his generational ability and talent and all that, <laughs> but nobody exactly looked at the Falcons and were like, man, this offense just needs one more uh, pass catching option. So, yep. And it is most certainly not going to be Mike Davis's thighs that are an issue. Oh my goodness. People already off season RB one in terms of workout photos, Mike Davis looking yoked over at Falcons camp. Got to love it on the sign over my shoulder which you can see on youtube it is mike davis rb2 season probably not rb1 let's not get insane out here but that is in the potential range of outcomes if arthur smith says you know what mike davis you look an awful like uh derrick henry so we will see what goes on with that i am excited to watch this offense and yeah andrew matt ryan was someone that again as i went through my rankings you know i just again and again looking at it and jalen hurts going down matt ryan coming up i don't think he's washed just yet and having having pits and potentially likely i would say better offensive line in front of him uh could see not you know, a return to MVP form, but at least a return to fantasy QB one form. What about the new Orleans saints and that? I won't say a curse word because I'm working on that guy. Taysom Hill. It's Taysom Hill. That's yep. the guy who we're really worried about with new Orleans saints. The minute that he becomes quarterback, Alvin Kamara, we are extremely concerned about because we all saw the drop off. I mean, he was a guy that was a perennial RB one week in week out. And then he fell into moral status, but he wasn't a guy that you're like, locking into lineups he was no longer someone you were interested in playing in dfs because he wasn't getting targets and that's that's alvin Kamara's game is receptions and these high value tar- high value touches which Taysom hill was basically just sucking away and taking away and that's a big problem and and even if Taysom hill's not the starter 
just his role in this offense is going to be concerning because if he's splitting like time with even Jameis Winston, then it's almost taking away the New Orleans Saints quarterback altogether from anyone using. Like we can't use either of them if they're splitting snaps 70-30. Like if Jameis, let's say Jameis Winston never is in the red zone. Like he can't throw any red zone touchdowns. And so we can't use them. So we could see a game where Jameis Winston, you know, threw us for 250 yards scoreless. And you have Taysom Hill score two rushing touchdowns and we can't use him at tight end anymore. So we're, we're really kind of stuck with who we're going to play with. I, I think Michael Thomas is okay, regardless of who's under at quarterback. I mean, we saw him get a very solid target share with Taysom Hill last year. I think Michael Thomas is a really good buy in general, but Taysom Hill if he's a starter, I think it's it's really bad. But even if he's just more involved than he was last year, it's a big concern for the fantasy output for all of the offensive pieces. Yeah, it's a gigantic concern. It's kind of why I've gone a little bit south on Jameis Winston because even if he wins the job, like Taysom Hill is just going to be more annoying than ever around the goal line. I was just looking up Alvin Kamara's ranks because – you know, when my tiers have gone out to two people that I think most people have complained about not being in my tier one are Alvin Kamara and Nick Chubb. Both are, we're arguably talking about the two best running backs in the league. Like if we just want to start a team and get those guys on, I wouldn't disagree with you. People in Taysom Hill's four starts last year, Alvin Kamara finished as the RB 26, the RB 36, the RB nine and the RB nine. That's why we're not ranking him as a high end RB one anymore. That is on the table. And as is Jameis Winston, man, like it's, potential that Taysom is just as annoying in the red zone and Jameis has a high average target depth because that's always what he's been either way Alvin Kamara just not that screaming top five running back we need to have like in yesteryears and yeah you know just quickly on Nick Chubb the guy was RB8 in fantasy points per game last year like RB12 the year before you need to catch passes for these running backs people it's weird it's fantasy football is a weird game it doesn't reflect <laughs> real life and we see that when great players like Nick Chubb aren't you know top five running backs but it's the game we play and we can try try to continue to help you win but yeah man like Taysom Trey Lance you know even like Lamar Jackson and you know old yesterday's uh, Josh Allen. Like these quarterbacks that just have such a reliance on rushing. It's great if you can get them on the fantasy team. Just realize more than maybe one wide receiver or one running back if the stuff is concentrated, probably not getting a ton of help elsewhere. Andrew, what about the Carolina Panthers? And I've thought about this more. We've talked about Sam Darnold here at length. I, I think I'm ready to just be completely out. I'm out, Andrew. Screw up. I, I, I couldn't be more out. Ian, I feel like we're the only people on planet Earth that just look at Sam Darnold and be like, this guy's not good. Like I, believe, he hasn't... I believe Mr. Evan Silva is all, also on our side. So it's us three driving the Sam Darnold actually bad bandwagon. <laughs> and it's like, why is this a bandwagon? It's, it's just fact. That's, that's what he's been throughout his career. He's just been a bad fantasy quarterback, a bad real-life quarterback, and I just don't understand why people are going towards him as a potential fantasy guy, as a sleeper. Look, he could be better as a real quarterback. He probably will be. Like, his situation is has, is the best it's ever been. But if he jumps from quarterback 32 to quarterback 24, I don't care. It, that doesn't make a difference to me whether or not he's going to be fantasy relevant. He's not going to be. And we're going to see it week one against the Jets. We're going to see it. We're going to know right away if he can be the guy in Carolina. And look, Teddy Bridgewater... I mean, what's the difference between him and Sam Bradford or uh, Sam Darnold? Really? I mean, Teddy Bridgewater wasn't a fantasy viable guy. I mean, you could stream him last year and it's like, if you get Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater's production from Sam Darnold in 2021, you know, how are you going to feel? Right? Like, is that good? It's like, no, it's not. It's, it's not good. So I, I don't understand it. I'm so out on Sam Darnold and it's concerning because I love the pass catchers there. I love Marshall and, and DJ Moore. And I want to be in on those guys. And if I'm wrong about Sam Darnold and he somehow proves me wrong, then that's how I'll get my exposure to him is through his receivers that I think are actually good. So yeah, Sam Darnold, I'm out. Yeah, I've been scooping up a lot of Robbie Anderson because, again, that disparity between him and DJ Moore, just too wide. I wish DJ Moore got more of the targets to people, but they don't. And Darnold, as much as his and Robbie's connection wasn't all that efficient with the Jets, it would make sense if he continues to feed that man. But, yeah, man, we just... If Darnold at least had like flashed high end ability more than a player two, because any player in the NFL has a player two. I've seen the Darnold 
throw back across the field against the 49ers. He had another similar one against the Colts. I myself have made a minute-long highlight film of Sam Donald's rushing highlights from last year. I've seen the guy play every freaking game of his career, and it's just bad people. And this is why I'm a bit of a Drew Locke apologist, because at least for as bad as Drew Locke is, and as many bad things happen in games that he starts, he makes some good things happen from time to time. Locke was 7th in big-time throw rate last year, 44th in turnover-worthy play rate. Sam Darnold, 38th in big-time throw rate, 40th in turnover-worthy play rate. Like, he's bad, he's not exciting, and I don't think a team in wide receivers, any good enough in the league, can necessarily fix him. So, yeah, you know, if you put him on the Chiefs, which would never happen, we could say the team's going to be good, but I don't know if there's a situation where we could say he's a good fantasy quarterback, Andrew. Like... He's too slow processing the football. Like he last year, clean pocket passer rating last like that. That tells you what we're dealing with here. It's not because of the, the pressure that's getting to him. It's not because these guys aren't, it's, it's, he's holding the ball too long because he can't make his reads and he can't go through his, like, that's the problem. And again, he can be better this year. It's totally possible, but for him to be fantasy relevant, like we need him to do way more. Like he needs to be improved by like 200%, which look, it's also year one in a brand new offense. Like remember when it took like two or three years for a quarterback to like learn the system and and be the guy. It's like, what happened to that? It's like, Nope, Joe Brady. No, you know, Joe Brady system obviously works for every quarterback, but you know, maybe it's a little bit of a credit to maybe it was just because Joe Burrow was his quarterback in college that, you know, the offense was so good again. I think Joe Brady's a, a good offensive coordinator, but at the same time, people said that about Adam Gase with Peyton Manning. And then what happened? Like, like it's just like maybe Joe Burrow had a lot to do with why Joe Brady was really successful at LSU. Look, if the film and numbers are all telling us he's a bad quarterback, he might just be a bad quarterback. Like, ah. all right, enough ripping on our guy Sam Darnold. <laughs> ho- ho- hope you play well, man. Hope you play well. <laughs> Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Andrew, who could mess up this freaking juggernaut of a team right now? It's only injuries for me. I think that, like you said, they're, they're stacked everywhere. It was so hard to do them in the mock drafts for the NFL because they don't really have any holes. They have so many receivers that are all good. I mean, Antonio Brown may not be back again because now he's got some more legal issues. So I guess that's a problem. But they were one of the most healthy teams last year. And that's something that we don't tend to see carry over year to year. So I think they may deal with more injuries this year than they did last year just across the entire team. Their offensive line, and we saw them too when they had to deal with injuries. Their team fell apart. There were a couple games last year when they were missing offensive linemen, and Brady was terrible. Again, you know those two Saints games basically are the first to come to mind when they were missing key guys and they couldn't execute anything on offense. So it's just the injuries with them, and I, I would I would probably predict that they're going to have more injuries just because of how the injury luck kind of worked in their favor this past season. Yeah, I mean we saw them. We did see them look mortal a few times last year there was the first game of the year and the ab when he came back game against the saints the bears game when goblin was out and mike evans was a little bit banged up i think it might be brady man and his arm did not fall off we came to you during last season when brady had that like 20 pass streak without completing one 20 yards downfield and we told you this is not a noodle arm situation his arm looked as good as ever last season i see that you know weird uh, image where it's like Tom Brady's headshot like from 2000 to present day and the man looks younger like I don't get it I know he continues to beat father time but man like Brady just established himself as the all-time great How, what else does he have to prove at some point he's 44 years old like it's the O-line it could be the O-line like you're saying just bad injury luck it's father time you know turning Brady into 2015 Peyton Manning or it's AB tearing up the locker room. You know, he did go to UFC 261 with Jake Paul instead of Tom Brady, Mike Evans, and Blaine Gabbert. Maybe they're taking that personally. I don't know, man. I will say Antonio Brown continues to just be way too undervalued in fantasy land. I mean, people, like, no matter what you think of the guy or the person, and if you are someone that just, you know, like, won't draft Tyreek Hill or Ben Roethlisberger or anyone with a problem, respect, then don't listen to what I have to say. But, like, last year, and PPR points per game. Goblin was wide receiver 15. Evans wide receiver 16. AB was wide receiver 23. Right now, Goblin's wide receiver 16 ADP. Evans wide receiver 18. AB wide receiver 47. Like, he's back. We don't have the concern if he's not going to be there anymore. I like Scotty Miller. I like Tyler Johnson, too. Brady loves him some Antonio Brown. We have a new cool stat at PFF called... Uh, 
was it threat rate? It's threat tar- rate. Yeah. Targets per route. And last year, the only guy that could, only two guys that got more targets per route than Antonio Brown were Devontae Adams. Makes sense. And Braxton Berrios for whatever reason. But Antonio Brown <laughs> right there ahead of Keenan Allen, Deontay Johnson, Stefan Diggs, Michael Thomas, only other guys with a threat rate of at least 25%. So yeah, man, this was the number three reigning scoring offense. I think we'd all expect them to likely finish top three, top five again. I think with Tom Brady, I think the last thing I want to put on with Tom Brady, look, so you asked, what does he have to play for? So he has two things to play for besides winning Psychopath. another Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> besides winning another Super Bowl, number one, he has to break the all-time passing record, which according to, if you look at his passing yards per game last year, if he carries that over, it's like 298 per game. That would mean that he'll break the record by week four against the New England Patriots, who will be playing at Gillette Stadium. So he's going to break the passing record, beat Bill Belichick at Gillette Stadium, and then you sell high in fantasy football. (laughs) That's the strategy. It is scary, though, to think what – like, they could get better, man. Like, one of our favorite stats going into last year, which is why we weren't really on Brady, was – Carson Palmer, Andrew Luck, Jameis Winston were like our only three QBs with 40 turnover-worthy plays. Every instance happened in their first year in Bruce Arians' system. So just, you know, and I call Brady a psychopath, and I mean that in the nicest way possible. He's a psychopath for freaking winning games, and he's done that better than anybody ever played a position. So congrats, GOAT, and I am not betting against him, but if it had to go wrong, maybe, just maybe, at some point, Brady stops being elite at the game. That's going to do it, everybody. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Andrew, what do you have over at PFF.com? Working on some usage reports, looking at end zone targets, carries inside the five-yard line, kind of taking a deep dive from everything from the 2020 season, all 32 teams, looking at potential opportunities for newer players to kind of take on bigger roles or high-value roles in their new offenses in 2021. As always, you can find Andrew on Twitter at Andrew Erickson underscore. You can check out my 100-article series, and I'll also continue to have the Fantasy File solo podcast out every single day. It's freaking time, everybody. It's the Fantasy Football offseason, and we plan to keep you updated as the summer months continue to go on. He's Andrew. I'm Ian. It's been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody. Peace.